Uh, we're coming to the end of our series, our um, uh, Victoria series, and I've begun each message every week with a little story. And you've kind of enjoyed the stories, I think. You kind of all laughed with me. Uh, well, I heard this story uh, today. Sorry? Ah, laughing at me, yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. Uh, I heard a story this week about a, a man, a bit of a miser, who was, actually a lot of my stories, somebody's dying, but this man was dying, and he called to his bedside, his pastor, his lawyer, and his doctor. Uh, so he said, pastor, his lawyer, his doctor, and he called them in, he says, guys, he says, you're the only people I trust, I want to be buried with all my money. He said, so, here's an envelope for each of you, in each envelope there's 30,000 pounds cash, and what I want you to do, at my funeral, I want you to put those envelopes into my coffin with me, because I want to go with all my money. And they agreed to do it. And obviously he died, and then they were at the funeral, and sure enough, the three men walked up and placed the envelope inside the coffin, and obviously the coffin was closed up, and then he was buried. And it was at the wake, a few hours later, where the doctor looked at the other two with tears in his eyes. He said, I need to confess something. He said, I was tempted. Temptation got a hold of me. He said, I wanted to put a down payment on a new car, so I kept 10,000 for myself. I only put 20,000 pounds cash back in that envelope, and I kept 10,000 for myself. And the lawyer looked a bit sheepish, and he said, yeah, I need to confess something too while we're here. He said, he said I did something wrong too. I was tempted. He said, I wanted to put a down payment on a new holiday home. So when I, in the envelope, I only put 10,000 in the envelope. I kept 20,000 for myself. And the pastor looked at both of them with shock on his face. He said, I can't believe you guys did that. I'm ashamed of you. Fancy succumbing to temptation so easily. I want it known here and now that when I put that envelope in the coffin, there was a check for the full 30,000 in there. Yeah. They haven't got better, have they? No, no. Dad jokes, okay, fair enough. Uh, so welcome, um, it's great to have you with us today and um, we're in our victorious series, Overcoming the Temptations and Trials of Life. It's been a great series, I've learned a lot from it. Um, but I wanted to tell you, uh, I wanted to remind us of a film. I know I like films, I always like to bring in films into my messages. I particularly like war films and I particularly like war films that have an escape in it. So POW escaping, yeah, from a prisoner of war camp. Uh, we've got The Great Escape, it's a brilliant movie. Bum, bum. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've got, uh, yeah, okay. Albert RN, I don't know if you know that film where they make a dummy that's, uh, while somebody escaped and there's a dummy that they bring out to the count. And there's the wooden horse where they, they have a wooden horse in the, in the yard and they dig a tunnel under the horse. Um, there's Escape from Colditz, another great movie. One of my favorite escape, war escape movies is Escape to Victory. Yes. Uh, you know Escape to Victory? It's got uh, Michael Caine, it's got Sylvester Stallone, it's even got Pele and Ozzy Ardiles and Bobby Moore. If you don't know who those people are, um, shame on you. <laughs> they are famous footballers. So this film is all about a, a football match between the Allied prisoners and the German guards. 
and they organize this match to be taken place in Paris. The Germans think this is a great propaganda exercise. They think they're going to get a lot of, they're going to beat all these allies and they're going to look really good. The allies, the, the prisoners, are using this as a way to escape. They think this is, our, this is our chance to escape. So they get in touch with the resistance and plan an escape. And a bit of a spoiler coming up here. It's half time in the match. The Germans are winning through a little bit of cheating. The referees are all on the German side. There's a bit of cheating going on. The Germans are winning, but the, the prisoner, the Allies, go back to their dressing room where the French resistance have dug a tunnel into their dressing room so they can escape. It's a great moment. And they're all kind of getting ready to escape. And then somebody, I can't remember who it is, says, guys, I think we can win the match. I think we can beat them. And they're like, but, but we've got a tunnel here. This is our moment. This is our moment to get to freedom. He says, yeah, but... Wouldn't it be good if we, if we beat the Germans and kind of scupper their whole propaganda exercise and give these French people in the crowd something to really cheer? They've had a tough war. Let's give them something to cheer about when we beat the Germans at football. We all know that feeling, right? Um, so anyway, so they all decide, actually, we're not going to go through the tunnel. We're not going to escape. We're going to go back on the pitch and we're going to finish this game. And they go out and they play their hearts out. And they eventually, uh, because of all the cheating and stuff, they manage to get a draw. But everybody knows the real victory is theirs. And so they're all cheering because in their minds they've won. All the crowd is going crazy because all the Germans are, are dejected and on the floor like, oh, this has been terrible. And then the crowd storm the pitch and in all the chaos and all the craziness, they manage to whisk away all the players out of the, out of the grounds. And so they escape. So they not only get the win, they also get the escape as well. They escape to victory. What a movie. So this is our final message in our Victoria series. And what's been the purpose of this series? It's been that. It's been the escape to victory. Escaping from the power of temptation. Escaping from the uh, sinful desires that kind of pull us back. Escaping from the temptations and wiles of the devil who's out to get us. Attempt, uh, escaping from the, uh, the desires and things that the world throws at us in order for us to have victory and freedom. It's not freedom that society tells us. It's freedom. Because the world tells us that freedom is the permission or uh, yeah, the ability to do whatever you want. That's freedom. That's what society tells us freedom is. To define our own good for ourselves and then to be able to do whatever we want. To pursue and enjoy and buy and sell and eat and drink and sleep with and say and do whatever we desire. This has become the dominant view of freedom in our society. And what I think society is discovering, or perhaps they might not admit it, is that this freedom actually leads to slavery. People become enslaved to the very choices they thought gave them freedom. It's why when we look at uh, statistics of, of life satisfaction and happiness over the past kind of five or six decades, you see in every case, uh, life satisfaction and happiness has been going steadily down, not up. As people feel like their freedom has got greater and greater, uh, 
people's happiness has been getting less and less. And the New Testament writers, they, have rec they recognized this issue. There's a, um, actually, Grace, I didn't bring the, I haven't got the clicker. Have you got it there? Actually, I'll get you to, you just push it forward for me, would you? If you just press the next slide. No? Thank you. All right, so Peter, uh, writing uh, his second letter, said this, For they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For, it's a great line here, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. People become slaves People think, ah, oh, I have the choice to eat and drink and sleep with and do whatever I want. But they end up becoming slaves to those very things that they thought have brought them freedom. So what is freedom? So what is Jesus' idea of freedom? I hope over the last few weeks we've kind of uh, dug into this a little bit. Anyone who wrote about freedom prior to this modern era put an emphasis on a different kind of freedom. They put the emphasis on not just the ability to choose whatever we want, but the ability to choose good. The ability to choose right. And to do that, you can't define good for yourself. That doesn't work. There has to be an external measure of what good is. And I would say... That's where God comes in. Which creates a bit of a problem for our society because they can't bear the thought of an external measure of goodness, external moral standard. They can't bear the thought of God because if they have a God, then suddenly that raises all sorts of questions about how they live their life and the choices they have to make and the accountability that follows. Thank you, Grace. But for us who follow Christ, this is how we live a life of victory. This is how we escape to victory. We escape from that way of thinking to a new way of thinking. Uh, 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 and the promises that Jesus gave us, that Jesus paid for us, that he offers us, he's given us this freedom, but we have to walk in it. We have to contend for it by trusting him, trusting his promises and making choices that honor him. So the question that I want to raise today is, how? How do we fight temptation? How do we fight temptation and win? How do we escape from the law of temptation and find victory and a greater measure of freedom? There's a great uh, scripture that we've mentioned uh, in previous weeks. It's Paul. It's Paul, his first letter to the Corinthian church, and he's talking to them about the temptations that they were facing. He starts with a warning. He says, so if you think you are standing firm, if you think you've got this nailed, be careful that you don't fall. Now that whole uh, standing firm thing occurs again and again in the New Testament that we are encouraged to stand firm. Put on the armor of God and stand firm. Our key verse for this series said, uh, you get the victory through Jesus Christ, therefore stand firm. There's loads and loads of references in the Bible to standing firm. But he's saying if you uh, think that you've made it, sin is actually just one temptation away. It's just through the next door, potentially. So we have to be on our guard. He's saying you've got to be on your guard when it comes to temptation. He carries on. Uh, no temptation has overtaken you except 
what is common to mankind. So he's saying, maybe you feel like your temptation is different to other people's, that you're facing more difficult things than other people's. Actually, everybody's facing difficult things. Everybody faces our sinful desires, uh, our flesh, uh, the world, the temptations of the devil. We're all facing uh, similar things. Remember we've talked about there's only three temptations actually. Temptations that appeal to our appetites, temptations that appeal to our desires, and temptations that appeal to our ego. It's the same three since the beginning of, my, uh, of, of the world. It's the same three that Jesus faced in the desert. And the Bible tells us that we have a high priest in Jesus who can empathize with our weakness. He can empathize with what we're feeling about, about sin and temptation because he has been tempted in every way just as we are. And yet he didn't sin. And I love the next line here. It says, uh, no temptation has overtaken you except in what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. And that's the ball game, really. Actually, let's all say that together. God is faithful. God is faithful. This is the foundation of our confidence. It's the foundation of our victory. He is faithful. Now, we say it. We've just sung it. Great is thy faithfulness. We read it in the Bible. We tell other people about it. But we don't always live it. We don't always live like it's true. There's a disconnect sometimes between what we say and the way we live. When we choose, and I say that word correctly, when we choose to worry about our finances, or when we choose to worry about our health, or our relationships, or our jobs, when we choose to worry about COVID, when we choose to worry, I'm not saying you know, that we don't put measures in, that we don't distance, we don't put on masks. That's all good. But we don't have to live in fear about this. And we mustn't live in fear about Omicron, whatever that looks like. We just, we God is faithful. Whatever, the, whatever else, God is faithful. It's a truth we've got to come back to again and again. And we just sang, great is thy faithfulness. I love that hymn. There's the second verse. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Do we know that? Do we really feel that? That we've got forgiveness for our sins and a peace that lasts? Thine own dear presence to teach and to guide. His presence with us always. Hope, sorry, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings, all mine and 10,000 besides. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. And what's the next line? All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. All I have needed. Do we mean it? Do we ever think there's things that we need that we haven't, that he hasn't provided for us? God is faithful. If we take nothing else but that home with us today and we live it, our lives will change dramatically. Did you just put that on or was that me? Uh, okay. So Paul goes on to talk about um, you know, how God is faithful in our temptations. He says this. He, our God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So, you can be confident of these two things because God is faithful. God is faithful, number one, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Has anybody ever said, I just couldn't resist? Has anybody ever said, I just couldn't? So whether it's shopping and you're seeing a, a new dress or a new pair of trousers or a shirt or a pair of trainers, or maybe it's a gadget or maybe it's a Black Friday deal, and you come up and say, oh, I just couldn't resist. That's actually a lie. It's a lie we tell ourselves. It's a lie that we live. If you're saying that, you're saying that God isn't faithful because he tells us that he will never let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. He is faithful. He's never going to tempt us beyond our capacity to resist. So if you see something, you might really want it, but you can resist it. You can. That's the first way that God demonstrates his faithfulness. The second way, he says, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. In some translations, it says escape. He will provide an escape so that you can endure it. Every time there is a temptation... There's a way out. Every single time we can escape to victory. Every time. Temptation, way out. There's two sides of the same coin. It's not a way out that he's going to make you take. It's always going to be your choice to walk in the way that he's given you. But you can be certain and you can be confident that it's there. Every time, every single time you're tempted to do something, every time you're tempted to do something that's going to hurt you or hurt the people around you or hurt the heart of God, he will not let you be tempted beyond your resistance and he will um, always provide a way out. What that way out looks like, it can be all sorts of things. It can be an accountability to somebody. If you've got accountability with somebody, you're telling them how you're living and you're talking together. It can be a family member, it can be a friend, that can be your way out. It can be therapy, can be a great way out. Uh, willpower can be the way out. God's Holy Spirit power is a great way out. The best way out, I've found, is the one that eliminates the temptation at its source. Right at the beginning. Proverbs. Uh, King Solomon, very, very clever man talking to his son, um, who you might think maybe he wasn't so clever, his son, because of what he says. He, if Solomon talking to his son says this, do not set foot on the path of the wicked. He's saying, don't do it. Don't make choices that are going to take you down that path. And then just in case his son hasn't grasped it, he says, avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it. Go on your way. He says the same thing like six times. <laughs> Don't do it. Avoid it. Go a different route. Move it. I know I talk to my kids sometimes and you have to say it again and again, don't you? But, but really, that's a... Uh... But I think, I think sometimes we are slow to do this. And he's saying where possible, don't put yourself in positions where temptation is going to be a problem. If you can possibly help it. If you struggle with with alcohol, then don't have alcohol in your cupboard at home. Yeah. Don't go to the off-license. Yeah. If you struggle with spending and debt, don't have a credit card. Mm -hmm. If you struggle with um, social media addiction or watching things on your phone that you shouldn't, then delete the apps. Get rid of the phone. Get yourself a Nokia brick. Play worm. <laughs> um, 
It's important. It's, it's life or death, actually. Don't do it. That's what he's saying. Don't set foot on that path. I'm going to give you the most obvious statement ever. Right, I wrote this down. I thought, actually, that's just so obvious. What you feed grows, it thrives. What you starve dies. This is a universal truth. If we eat, <laughs> we grow. If we don't eat, eventually we die. If we feed our plants, they grow. If we don't, they die. And the same is true with our sinful nature. If we feed it, it will grow. It will get stronger. If we starve it, it will get weaker and weaker and lose its power. And here's what we have to do. We have to starve our sinful nature and we have to feed our spiritual nature. Paul writing to Galatians says, I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. The flesh is another word for our sinful desires, our sinful nature. He says, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So that feeds directly against what society will want us to live or the way that society wants to live. You are not to do whatever you want. That way is not freedom. That way is not life. That's not the best path. You are not to do whatever you want. But Jesus' approach to defeating temptation is a positive one. He says... Um, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. He's not there, he's not there saying no, no, no. I remember my, um, uh, actually I got a message through this morning, and, and if you know Dom's son Caleb, uh, he's just taken his grade one last week, and because I, was, I put him in for his exam, I got the result sheet back, and he got a merit, he passed, so I, I texted Dom this morning, and, and they were overjoyed, and they saw, and, and they sent a picture of Caleb just going, like, looking, like that, as if he was totally shocked that he'd passed. Um, but I remember when our son, our eldest son, Gideon, was learning the piano. And I remember one day he was practicing his scales. And my mum, Bob, Barbara, was there. And her sister, my aunt Audrey, was also there in the lounge. And they were overseeing his practice. And he was playing his scales. And every time he played a wrong note, they, went, they both went in unison, No! No! And so all, all I could hear from the kitchen was da 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 no da 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 no da 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 no. And it was just, oh, it was hilarious. It was brilliant. And I sometimes feel we have that idea of God. He's looking at us, moving from temptation to temptation, going no, no, no. Uh, but that's not that's not it at all. He gives us a different way. He says, "Live by the Spirit." It's a positive statement. This is the way you should live. You don't have to think about that if you do that. If you live by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. That's an automatic thing. You don't have to be thinking, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do the wrong thing. Do the right thing in its place. And the other things take care of themselves. We need to learn to listen to and obey the Holy Spirit. You know the Holy Spirit is just one of the greatest gifts we've been given? The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. 
This is the spirit that Jesus was talking about when Jesus was on the earth talking to his disciples saying, I've got to go away and it's better if I do because then the Holy Spirit will come. It's better to have the Holy Spirit than Jesus. He was saying to them, it's better to have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can be with you inside you all the time. You're going to have constant connection and communication with God through the Holy Spirit. It's genius. It's a genius thing. We don't have to battle temptation on our own. We have a heavenly power. Paul in Romans 8 describes the battle. He says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Therefore, again, there's that important word, therefore. When you see a therefore, you have to see what it's there for. Okay, so that relates to that. Because you've got this spirit in you, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. We sometimes feel that we do. Oh, I couldn't help it. I can't resist. I couldn't resist. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature wants you to do. None. Why? Because you've got the power of the Spirit living in you. He goes on. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live that's it. We want to live. We want to have life. We want to be living in the freedom. We want to live victorious. And I've highlighted this, the power of the Spirit, because when we are saved, when we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us because we're justified before God. We become a sinless vessel, which means that God can live in us through the Holy Spirit. And for Jesus, this happened, was a tangible moment when he got baptized. He gets baptized, he comes and he goes, comes out of the water, and it says the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And then it says he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After the temptation takes place, if you ever read it in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, I think it says, Jesus went back to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So he went into the desert filled with the Holy Spirit, and he came out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. Because he's learning, he had learned to listen to the Spirit and walk with the Spirit and live by the Spirit's promptings. That's how we live in the power of the Spirit. As we let him guide us, as we choose to walk with him, as we are obedient to what he's saying to us. We need to tap into the power of the Spirit and starve those temptations to death. Something else it says in Galatians 5, he says, since we live by the Spirit, Let's keep in step with the Spirit. When Fru and I got married, um, there's all the, I don't know if you remember, the pressure of the first dance at the reception. You kind of, you're supposed to do the first dance together, aren't you? And we, we realized we were expected to do the first dance, and we decided we wanted to do something a bit different. Now for Fru, she's a professional dancer at this point, no problem at all for me. I'm like a newborn donkey on roller skates when I dance. I am just not coordinated. So through organized lessons, jive lessons with a ballroom, with a ballroom dancing teacher. And, and this guy, he was, he was all, uh, all you would expect really, he was kind of, kind of, kind of pert in every way and, you know, absolutely 
typical ballroom dance. It was, it was, it was funny. And I learned the, the total sum of three moves. Six weeks to learn three moves. Um, it was enough, okay? Da, ga, da, ga, ga, ga. Uh, I can still do it. It's still there now. Um, not much use in a nightclub, but still. The, that first wedding dance, we did dance to Glenn Miller. It was a triumph. Um, but when I first started to dance with Fru, partner dancing, I kept treading on her toes. I kept stamping on her feet. It must have been black and blue because I wasn't used to it. But gradually, the more you dance together, the more you get to know how big her feet are and where her feet are positioned. Not that you've got big feet, love. I just think I'm clever. But you get to know where each other is. And you start to move a little bit more gracefully. This is what it's like walking with the Spirit. The more we do it, the easier it gets. You get to understand and recognize the Spirit's prompting. You get to anticipate where the Spirit will lead you. Because you, you, you are so in tune. But you only become in tune by doing it. By being um, purposeful about it. Remember what we feed grows. What we starve dies. And this is our escape. This is our way out. Feed your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Following the inner voice of the Holy Spirit. I would love it if this week we could begin feeding that relationship more and more. If we could give the Holy Spirit permission to guide us a bit more, to speak to us a bit more, to lead us a bit more. Maybe we could start every day with a prayer that's something like, Holy Spirit, I know you are in me. I know you are with me. I know you've got plans for me. Today, I want to be mindful of you. I want to walk with you. I give you permission to interrupt my life at any point to guide me on a different path. I'm open to your leading. Speak to me about the people in my life and help me stop feeding those areas of my life that need to starve and die. That would be a great prayer every morning, wouldn't it? Something like that. Give the Holy Spirit permission. To, and what you'll find is you'll start to live in the power of the Spirit as we walk in step with him. I'm done.